This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today we have Kara on from Lattice, and we're going to be talking about productivity tracking. And in particular, we're going to be talking about what the New York Times recently, uh, they had an article about productivity tracking. And we're going to be talking about what they got right and what they got wrong in their article. And so we're going to kind of do some analysis of their work, which is always fun. Uh, Kara, would you do us a favor and introduce yourself and Lattice? Yeah, happy to. I'm Kara Brennan-Alamano. I'm the Chief People Officer at Lattice. And we are a high-growth startup that is um, on a mission to make work meaningful. So we provide a full suite of tools that allow for employee engagement, performance management, career development, and compensation planning. Uh, And we are in more than 4,500 companies across the U.S. and EMEA and are growing pretty quickly. One of the Uh, fastest growing um, software platforms in Silicon Valley these days. uh, A unicorn of sorts. A unicorn. A unicorn. And and possibly, depending on on who you talk to, a double or triple unicorn. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, I know know, uh, Jack well enough to email him. Uh, Y'all have done wonderful work for a long time. Thank uh, you. So congratulations. Just a a great company, and you're doing good work for people. So um, productivity tracking. You know, first of all, the the idea of productivity tracking uh, is is interesting in and of itself. So we probably could talk for an hour just about that. For sure. But let's let's kind of go back to the article, like what what the New York Times, what they're you know when as they approach things, because when you know when a New York Times writer writes about something in our space or HR career, etc. Um, they don't have the they don't have the the depth of experience mm-hmm. that like you would, right? right? Um, and years ago they did this bit on Amazon, and and the thing was is Amazon's culture is bad, and right. uh, I'm like, no, Amazon's culture is uh, for people that like to work in that environment. Meaning, right? It's all about aligning with what your strategic imperatives right. are, and as long right. as you're not uh, lying to people about right what it what it's like to work there that's right um you that's, know people can choose to opt in that's that's it it's an investment mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. it's more like sure. wall street uh it's you know you're it's there is no work-life balance it's you're mm-hmm. going to work 90 hours uh and it's meritocracy and if you don't like that don't come so that so so i've actually been critical of the new york times in in, in that article because it's like there is there isn't a bad i mean outside of toxic and illegal and okay all right you know that's stayed in covered but the way they positioned amazon is like well that's a bit unfair uh so i've i've been critical let's talk about this particular article in productivity tracking so take us into the article as you read it well we the the fundamental the bottom line was that there's a number of new tools that are entering the market mm-hmm. that are tech tools um that are are tracking people's time and that includes looking into your home and looking at you when you're sitting at your desk and determining 
taking pictures every 10 minutes and seeing if you are in fact at your desk. Uh, there, are, there are tools that track your activity on keyboards. Uh, there are tools that track um, you know, inputs and outputs via a software layer that's on top of your emails and your Slack and, and the different integrations that you have at your work. So um, while tracking productivity is, is nothing new in work, and I think right. you can definitely go back to the turn of the century mm -hmm. and, and uh, the, the turn of the 20th century and, and, and the turn of the 19th century and, and the Industrial Revolution and understand that there was a lot of effort around measuring performance as productivity, it entering into a technology space where I think two things are happening. One is people are coming in and it's not visible to them. They may not know, or it feels different when you're just going through your emails uh, and not having someone watching you and tracking you physically. Right. Uh, there, it, it feels like a secret layer behind the scenes, even if a company says this is what we're doing. Um, so I think that's number one. And I think the second thing is there, I think there's an existential fear about just the power of technology and, and this is the beginning. What, what is the end or where are we headed with, uh, with things like AI and machine learning in terms of the ability to measure and track? Uh, so, so the article was, was asking questions about that, was showing us profiles. And what was interesting is they did share employees that were on both sides, right? You know, right. employees that were feeling really unnerved by the the tracking and and the level of of monitoring from a product a productivity standpoint and then others that said hey i'm doing a good job i want to i see this as recognition of my work like measure me see what i can do it's interesting because if the it's kind of like performance management on some level if if the performance management uh, application makes you better as an employee, like gives you in some insight that you didn't have uh, to yourself uh, or of yourself, then then that's wonderful. Uh, but if it's just a tool to basically for the company to uh, lord over you, uh, then then it's not cool, uh, and it never has been. But uh, but I, I right. think I think right. on on some level. You know, the, I, I would be really interested to dig into the employees that are okay with it are those high performers. Yeah, I think that's that's a good question. Um, I would take it almost a step, step back yeah. and look at it as what are we measuring, mm. right? That's the bigger question to me. And I get concerned um, with a headline like this. Um the, the the first question I have is, this, is this the primary means of assessment? Is this the primary means of performance management? Because if that's the case, if performance management means that you're taking pictures of somebody, making sure they're sitting at their desk, I don't see that as a long-term solution. And I don't see that aligned with business success. 60% um, of, of US workers are knowledge workers. right? And we all know that knowledge workers to really provide value to an organization, that's about that moment of inspiration, those moments of insight, that extra effort that somebody can put in outside of an, a, a nine to five. That's that's about the relationships they're building with their customers and, and their clients. And those are things that can't be measured by literally time in seat, time in the desk. Right. Um, so my concern with putting a highlight on a pro productivity measurement is that you're you it appears to some that that might be the most important thing 
And to me, that should be part of a conversation about performance that's much broader and deeper than that. And that's when you get to the engagement conversation. Right. And engagement is something where it's someone who's coming in, who's a high performer or wants to be a high performer, and you're helping them get better. And you're helping them self-engage and understand more about themselves and go on that journey as an employee to understand how you can partner better with them. And yes, productivity and output will be um, a a really, that you will see that increase. You will see that, that come through, but that's not the whole story. So as with anything, I think relying on measures like this and really trying to dictate how people are working, um, there's risk there. There's oh, real risk there. It's it's interesting. A friend of mine, I did this kind of Joe Rogan style um, uh, video podcast. And one of the things that he said is he goes, William, you just going to watch it. And this was a couple months ago. He's there's going to be a bit huge push by these technology companies for uh, return to work. I'm like, nah, man, you know what? No, it's not going to happen. I mean, you know, we've, we've figured it out. Like, you know, if this is one of the, one of the, uh, if there is a silver lining of COVID is for, for knowledge workers, we figure out you don't have to be, you can't, if it's all about flexibility, if you want to go to the office, great. But if you want to work from home, yeah. And he was like, no, he was adamant. He's like, no, it's just, they're going, they have these huge facilities they are paying a ton of money for, they want people in there and if they want to lord over them and they, they, they wanted to go back to the foosball tables and all that other stuff because uh, it was a way to bring people in and then it was a way to then track and monitor and et cetera. I didn't believe them, but it's proven. I mean, it's it's every day we see a new article about uh, this, this return to the office. And uh, so. Well, you know what? I would I would challenge you on that. Yes. Um, I think these things make good headlines. And I definitely <laughs> think there are believers in office in the office culture piece. I, I'll start by saying um, Lattice is a remote first company. Uh, what we do in our company is we have some wonderful offices that people can choose to go to if they want. And they can also work from home and or they can do both work home some days and go to the office some days. Oh, that's cool. Um I think remote work in a COVID environment is a decidedly different thing than the new world of remote work that's probably only happened in the last two months in my yes. calculation. Right. I think we there were a ton of assumptions coming out of COVID about what the next phase was going to look like, what the new normal was going to look like. And I think my sense is we're not decided yet. We are not there. And I think you're going to see thrash. You're going to see companies figuring out and making mistakes um, as they go. I, But I do not believe that the new world of work is back to the office. And the reason I don't believe it is because I'm in charge of real estate budgets. Mm. Many CPOs are in charge of real estate budgets and right. CHROs because part of what we do is, is think about that culture. And that culture includes the... 800 people who have home offices in at Lattice and the same number of people that would choose to come into our, to our offices. And what I know about those folks is yes, they're, they're retaining their current leases, but they're not renewing leases. And what they're expecting is, is that they're, they're moving into a flexible space um, where people will definitely have hybrid and many are going to be inching more toward remote first. And that is, that's aligned with business budgets over the next three to five years. And that's aligned with business strategy over the next three to five years. 
And I think the difference between a headline with an employee having a manager tell them to come back to the office and a business strategy that is led by the chief people officer along with the chief executive officer and the chief financial officer is that you are going to see a lot of thrash in the near term. And you're going to see people testing and experimenting because that's how we learn and grow. Right. But you're going to see a midterm and a long term that looks very different than where we were before. Right. Right. So one of the things I wanted to ask you is, uh, is there is as it relates to this, this kind of productivity, I don't don't want to say big brother, but basically Mm -hmm. um, understanding kind of what's going on with people and how they work and where they thrive, how they thrive, etc. Is, is we need we need data. So on one on one thing, I want so two prong question. First is the question of how does a company how do you communicate? Or do you? I shouldn't even assume that we that you do. How uh, should you communicate how, uh, what the company's philosophy is or values are around productivity, or around tracking, or around just the way that we the, the way that they're supportive of of people thriving? You know, however that however that plays out. And the second part of that is, do you think that there's kind of a, a, a an inkling of a movement around employee privacy? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think a couple things. I think that employee trust is what we know foundationally and research yeah. tells us is what can really drive performance um, from it within employee and 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 the the macro business success that that can build um, is is pretty foundational to how people are thinking in this new world of work and and the best talent will go to a place where they feel trusted. Right. I think part of trust is being open and honest about what you're doing and what you're not doing. So I think on one hand, communication is really important. And whatever you're doing in an office, whatever level of monitoring you're doing, it's about it's about being open and upfront with that. Right. No surprises. No surprises. And right. what I think a lot of people don't understand is there's a lot of monitoring that's built into a lot of software. Um, and these are questions that people in my seat, the chief people officer, have been thinking about asking and addressing for a number of years, even pre-COVID. We Outlook came out, uh, Microsoft came out with Outlook and they said, oh, look at all these amazing analytics that we can do. This was years ago, right? And all the analytics were basically monitoring analytics. Um, I I love looking at new tools that come into the space. Lots of early stage companies trying to build people analytics to solve that problem. And, And many of those early stage people analytics companies were built on sucking in all the data from Slack and emails and, and texts even, and looking at and and counting that as performance. And um, a lot of people who are the buyers, people like me have questioned, but wait, is that performance? Right. And there was a ton of pushback when Microsoft came out with Outlook from this CHRO community about, wait a second, you're telling us that these are true people analytics, but they're, they're not really, they're just monitoring. So, so to understand that these things have been around right. and, and there are certain industries, of course, banking, et cetera, that, that have to maintain this type of monitoring because for a right. number of, of right. reasons, it's interesting to see how 
um, some of those companies have handled it. You know, it's it's sort of the Amazon conversation that you're talking about. If you're open and honest and clear and people are choosing and opting into that and understanding that that's one measure of how they're going to one measure of their performance, I feel like that's OK. Um, and it can be seen as as a real open conversation and being dynamic um, and or an open dynamic conversation about this is how we run our business and this is why um, the challenge with everything comes in when it is a surprise, right? And you didn't right. know that that's what the expectation was. Do you um, think there's a level of personalization in the sense of, uh, for some employees, there's 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 this diff- a different layer of of uh, again, uh, we'll, we'll say productivity uh, tracking because because that was the bit. But basically, it's gaining insight into, you know. Uh, where they thrive, how they thrive, yeah. et cetera, especially yeah. if it's reported back to them. My, sure. the, the question is, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, does this apply? Do we, is it equally applied across all employees from, you know, CEO to receptionist, let's say, let's right. just go that, that right. far and that extreme. Is it equally applied or is it situational or personalized to the, to the employee? I think we're going to see more challenges to that yeah. kind of, uh, to, to this, yeah. or, you know, you see a, a headline like this, it's going to prompt a lot of questions yep. and it's going to force a lot of communication and a lot more openness. And I think that's healthy. And, um, and what we, what we already know, and I think what we're going to see more of is, is the top talent are going to go to environments that align with their values and this, to me, just goes really back to the the vision, mission, value um, element that we've been talking about for a long time, right? right? Everything old is new again. Um, but just, it's what is... Just go. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? What is that promise you're making to employees about what it's like to work here? And this is such a strong component of that. And you have to be open and upfront. But what we already know and what we've known even more in the past five years and has shown up a ton more during COVID is people really want to understand about how their work, the work they're doing is connected to the mission of the company, is connected to the vision of the company and the values of the company. And you do that through communication. And if you're doing it well, you're doing it through your performance management processes too, because people are getting rewarded who are truly aligned with the the mission and the vision of your company and and creating those outcomes? What uh, if any? Because because uh, when you mentioned top talent, we've we've talked about top talent a couple times. But it, do you see anything in the data or or, or even just anecdotally uh, that's generational? Well, um, the answer is yes. Uh, we <laughs> even have we even have some some la- some lattice data yes. that says. You know, um, things like uh, we're seeing some shift with with early earlier career folks really mm-hmm. wanting, again, to be connected to that mission and vision and values and and being willing to leave a role um, if if they that expectation isn't met. I think what what I've learned over, you know, 20 plus years in in people um, careers is that it. It, we call it generational. I think is it's as much about stage of life, right? Um, and and the risk uh, that you're willing to take at different stages can vary significantly. And, and I say that because I've worked with some, you know, quote baby boomers 
um, and greatest generation folk who are some of the highest risk takers that I know because they've they're in a position to do that. Um, whereas maybe their their generational profile is is a lot less risk or, or is more risk averse. Um, so I laugh because I'm not a hundred percent subscribed to the gener- you know the generational thesis, but I definitely think it comes down to an individual's ability to um, to take risk. And I think what we saw and and what we're seeing with the great reset, what people called before was the great resignation, is COVID redefined people's risk tolerance and and their their want and need to define for themselves the lives that they want to lead lead and definitely employment um, came into play there. So we as employers have to really be aligned with employees in terms of what they want, what their risk profile is, and I do think that as the economy recovers, as we know employees who have choice demand more from their employers. And I think, you know, your question about demanding more privacy and expecting that will become even more important and, and come to the fore more because people have options and they'll choose between an employer that allows them their privacy over an employer that says, hey, by the way, we're going to be monitoring you. Two questions. One is, um how do you extend this or do you extend this? Again, I don't want to assume uh, all the way into recruiting, uh, like the careers page or job mm-hmm. descriptions and things like that. The, like on, on the on the front end, when we're trying to bring that talent in, like we've, we focus so much on the employee, which is great, but we've got to bring them in. So how do we communicate or do we communicate um, uh, to those folks about what our philosophy is? Well, you know, I think you solve or you create almost every employee or culture issue in the recruiting process. Right. Meaning you're either being really clear and making sure you have the the true right match to your business um, and the candidate is really opting in and with with clear eyes or you're not being thorough and and people are coming in surprised, as you said, um, which is definitely what we don't want. and so I think whatever your your posture on monitoring, um, whatever your expectations around productivity is, that definitely needs to p- be a part of your recruiting conversation. And oh, and people ahead. need no, to sure. opt in. I, it's interesting because uh, as you said it, I uh, it's almost like the word monitoring mm-hmm. is is got a bad rap or it's got yeah. a bunch of baggage <laughs> attached to it, right? But like you know, I've got kids, and you've got kids. At one point, we had baby monitors. You know, there was cameras in my, but in my kids' rooms, like so we could make sure that you know uh, everything was okay. Uh, there's, you know, and so like that wasn't a bad thing. That was a good thing. I mean, well, I w- I would challenge whether a baby monitor and and a grown up adult worker <laughs> monitor is 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 really a, a fair parallel. <laughs> it's the it's the word monitoring. Is, yeah, yeah, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. For sure. it's, it's it's the word monitoring. It's almost yeah. getting a. It's it's almost like when someone hears that, it's like whoa, monitoring. Yeah. That's a. It yeah. automatically for sure leans people to like that's a bad thing, and it and it's not necessarily it can be probably most often is, but doesn't have to be off uh, that way. Definitely, the words we use really really matter, but that goes back to the core communication piece we were talking about. It right? does. It does. Mm-hmm. Last last thing I wanted to ask you is advice that you'd give other HR practitioners around in, interacting with the, the rest of the C-suite um, in terms of kind of 
philosophically, making sure you get the you know, programmatically right, but also the communication layer right. Mm-hmm. You know, so how do you, you know, especially like people that are new to new, you know, CHROs that are sure. chief people officers, whatever, they're new to a company. They don't necessarily know everybody. How do they get this? How do they communicate to that group of people, their peers? How do they communicate to them about what, what should and shouldn't be done? I think one of the the best things that a CHRO or a people leader or an HR manager in a smaller right. company can do is really paint the picture of what this could look like in real life, right? Mm. Um, and and the assumption there is that you're connected to the employee base, you have some understanding of yourself as an employee, so that you can be that voice of of the customer and that that customer being the the customer in this case being the employee of the company. So I love being able to paint the picture of a couple different scenarios and then leveraging the leadership to share feedback, have open conversations. You want to be able to help the leadership look around the corners and right. it's a very different thing to say we shouldn't do this and then you know go hard left, go hard right. I think what I've found the most helpful and and I've ch- I've learned and I've changed my mind about things is saying, hey, one version of this looks like we m- we move ahead with this monitoring software. We communicate. This is what the communication plan would look like. And um, and we can start having conversations with a few trusted employees to see what their initial reaction would be. And I can bring that back to you and then we can rev on on whether we feel like this is. Um, this is a good decision for the company. And then the alternative is that we come out with a no monitoring posture and here's what that communication plan is. And here's what the few trusted employees have said about that. Oh, I and love we can that. test that. I love that because it's like the porridge approach. You yeah. you basically kind of go back to the team and go, okay, they, listen, there's, there's, there's hot, there's cold. There's, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's just right. Let's figure it out. And then, you know, our team will then go and implement, uh, Kara, I could talk to you all day, but we, <laughs> I know you've got stuff stacked up on your schedule. So yeah. thank you so much for carving out time and wisdom for the audience. Well, thanks. It was great thinking through this. Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live Podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at Recruiting.